0: Welcome to another podcast brought to you by Extremis Publishing Limited. Uh, today, Mr. Extremis himself, Dr. Tom Christie, will be talking about one of his most recent books, A Righteously Awesome 80s Christmas. Try and say that with your false teeth in. Uh, by the way, I'm Ian McNeish, and I have the pleasure of being on the other side of the microphone. Hello, Tom.
1: Hello, Ian. How are you doing? i um,
0: quite well. <laughs> Wait till we get this going. Uh, if I can set the scene a bit before we get into the book, uh, not only are you a, are you a prolific writer in your own right, you also, through Extremis Publishing Limited, publish books by a whole variety of authors, covering many subjects, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes, that's right. We've been running now since
0: 2015. Yes, and you've done, and it's a variety of subjects, I, I find them quite interesting. Uh, but back to yourself, because this is about your book, I've lost count, is it 11 books so far? 12 12. See, I did. Told you I lost count. The majority are about the cinema industry, uh, if I can call it an industry. For example, Star in Ascendance about Liv Tyler, The Cinema of Richard Linklater, John Hughes and the 80s Cinema, and last but not least, the James Bond movies of the 80s. And just to show your versatility, you have penned A Murder Mystery, The Shadow in the Gallery, set in a museum, and a very specialised book about the Sinclair ZX Spectrum computer, entitled The Spectrum of Adventure. Yet another 80s book. So, before opening your Christmas selection box, one kind of obvious starter question. Is there something special about 80s cinema that has seen you writing four books based on that decade?
1: Well, do you know, I think everybody has a certain degree of nostalgia um, and will look back fondly on the cinema of their youth. Uh, I was born in 79, and I've always counted myself as very fortunate that I was born in that particular period, because when you look at the 1980s, you see some incredible stuff. I mean, there were just so many memorable films and franchises to come out of that decade. And it says a lot for the... Versatility of these various different films because they're still being remade now. Um, if you go down to your local supermarket, you can guarantee you will see one or more of them uh, on sale even today. And there has been this boom in eighties nostalgia, which has really persisted for years now.
0: It, d- does that mean in some way, I don't know. Was the film industry developing through the eighties? Was it? Was there something changing about it? Was it better? Or was it just or just different? How, Why the 80s in particular? Why does that seem to be a golden theme of filmmaking?
1: Well, there's a number of reasons why, really. I mean, a lot of people would consider the 1970s probably to be the the last sort of auteur-led period um, before the money men took over, effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, By the time you get into the 1980s, there is, I would imagine... Perhaps more than ever, um, a, a sense of um, you know commercial viability being attached to films. But the big difference was that whereas now um, there's a lot of emphasis on films that are remakes or prequels or reimaginings of existing films. In the 1980s, um, so much of what we saw was not just original but really original. Um, you see films like Ghostbusters, um, the Indiana Jones trilogy. Um, Rambo and Die Hard and all of these various different um, spin-offs that came from them. And on the other hand you have the beginning of horror franchises like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. There were some fantastic kids films like The Neverending Story and The Goonies. It was just really a period of cinema that I don't think we'll ever really see again. And I think what helped to bolster it was the fact that you also had home entertainment starting to come in, so people had Betamax, they had Mm -hmm. VHS. Um, People were able now to not just see a film at the cinema, they were able to watch it again and again at home. Um, And I think to a certain degree that has helped to kind of bolster these films in the public consciousness because I think films like Ghostbusters and Die Hard, which sold very well on, on VHS, um, really have become lodged in people's psyches, you know that um, they're not really going to be in any danger of going away anytime soon.
0: No, I mean, yeah. I just wondered, you know, music kind of flourished in the '60s right through, and then films seemed to just drift in slightly behind them. But uh, and then, of course, of the advent of this modern life we have, for nobody needs to leave their house to go and see <laughs> a film anymore. Uh, sticking to the '80s theme. What is it about the Christmas films of that decade that attracted you enough to write a book about them?
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting thing because um, the 1980s are seen now as being a kind of second golden age of uh, Christmas filmmaking. Uh, The first golden age had come sort of in the mid-40s to the early 50s, uh, where you had films like White Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street and The Bishop's Wife, which all kind of helped to establish in the public consciousness what a Christmas film actually was. Um, And these films have become classics for good reason, uh, because they still stand up very well even today. But then, through the 60s and 70s, there was a long period where really, to be honest, very little actually happened in Christmas filmmaking, because most of the prominent Christmas features of the time were being made for television, films like An American Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. So by the time you get into the 1980s, there's this huge change um, where suddenly the Christmas film's right back in the public eye again. And it's an interesting decade for a variety of reasons, and I'm sure we'll touch on some of those points later. But what intrigues me about it is it starts off in a very low key way with um, Christmas horror films, often very low budget Christmas horror films, um, which actually became a bit of a subgenre in their own right. And then suddenly, by the time you're getting into the, the middle of the decade, you get films like Gremlins, Santa Claus the Movie and various other films that really uh, were big budget, that were heavily publicised, and that really got the Christmas film as a genre back into the public eye. Is it the case then, correct me if I'm wrong, that 80s cinema
0: saw a lot more people leaving their houses to go to cinemas during
1: the 80s? or or, Because it died off a bit, and then it seems to be resurrecting itself again, I think? Yeah, well, I think that's certainly true. I mean, the '80s saw a lot of blockbuster films. I mean, if you see things like you know, really Raiders of the Lost Ark at the beginning of yeah. the decade, all the way through to Tim Burton's Batman, which was probably the smash hit. Of I it, even of the decade. saw them myself. Yeah. In a cinema. <laughs> so so yeah, I mean, I think it it certainly did reinvigorate cinema as being uh, you know something that people went to as a kind of social thing, um, as well as obviously the uh, you know solely to see a film. Uh, And from that point of view, yes. I mean, I think it probably did, um, you know, put cinema back into the focus in a way that it probably hadn't been for a few years beforehand.
0: Yeah. I took my bairns about that time as well. (laughs) So anyway, while reading through your book, A Righteously Awesome 80s Christmas, I encounter, I think it's 42 different films that that are referenced through the book. Uh, And while A Christmas Story and Santa Claus the Movie, you mentioned that earlier, seem obviously Christmas, the majority certainly at first inspection, uh, seemingly bear little relationship to Christmas and include such classics as First Blood, The Dorm That Dripped Blood, Brazil, Die Hard, Dead Bang, and DOA, to, to name but a few. So, what would you say makes a Christmas film? Should it involve religion? Should it involve happy families around Christmas trees? sons and daughters coming home for Christmas, should it have a message, should it be about good triumphing over evil, or, or have I missed the point?
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's a funny thing, because I think Christmas films mean different things to different people. Um, it's often said that a Christmas film can feature a Christmas theme, it can feature a Christmas setting, or it might just be the kind of film that happens to be shown at Christmas. You might remember the the famous Michael McIntyre sketch where he talks about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and says that Christmas, the period between Christmas and New Year, is literally the only point in the entire year that you might watch something that, like that. That's that that In the afternoon, you know, the sound of music and The Great Escape would possibly be others that are you know related to Christmas viewing, even though the films themselves are, are far from Christmassy. So, in terms of marketing for for the cinema industry was Christmas
0: and the lead-up to Christmas a time that they should have been, or, or would have been, you know, preparing and, and, and launching films just because it was leading up to Christmas? Did, you know, was it was that part
1: of that thinking? It was just, it's a Christmas film because it comes out at Christmas. Well, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a, a, an element of that. I mean, if you look at films like the the original... Uh, Miracle on 34th Street, um, they went to great lens to try and disguise the fact it was a Christmas film because it came out in the summer. <laughs> uh, but the film was so popular it was still going at Christmas. It's a very different scenario now of course, uh, bringing a film out at Christmas because it's seen as being more of a, a kind of social event for people um, means that it can really be a big business and certainly that has been the case in the last few years with the, the new Star Wars sequels for instance which have done very well for themselves um, and, and many other films besides.
0: I wouldn't be too hard on Miracle on 34th Street being a Christmas
1: film coming out in the summer when you
0: see that a lot of the television Christmas events are actually filmed in the summer <laughs> also. <Yeah. laughs> uh, so, what, with that in mind, what in your opinion has to be present to make a good Christmas film?
1: Well, I think there are a variety of different elements that are inherent within a particular film to make it essentially Christmassy. And in most cases you'll have a Christmas setting... Sometimes that will mean that the film is perceived as being specifically a Christmas film. Sometimes it won't be. For instance, Die Hard, famously set on the evening of Christmas Eve. Does that make it a Christmas film? Well, that's been a debate that's run and run really, to be honest. Uh, It's very difficult to say if there's a right answer to that question. Well, it's the same thing really with other films in the 80s. I imagine is as good an era as any to draw that distinction. Films like Gremlins for instance, very clearly has a A Christmas setting, but might or might not be considered a Christmas film. Rambo First Blood, uh, on the other hand, um, I would imagine might not be considered a Christmas film, but yet you can see Christmas decorations are up in the town that John Rambo visits. That's right. So... In that sense, yes. I mean, films like Santa Claus the Movie um, have a lot of Christmas iconography, Um, it deals with a lot of the mythology behind Christmas, Um, and it also tells a little bit about the legend of of Santa Claus and how we've come to understand it um, in popular culture. Um, But in other films, I imagine it's very much a case of looking at them and the specific elements of them uh, to see what makes them uh, Christmassy per se. Um, A film like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, um, for instance, looks very specifically at Christmas in a domestic setting uh, and how families come together over the festive period. On the other hand, you have films like Lethal Weapon, which are set at Christmas and have a lot of really interesting, subversive uh, Christmas themes that are going on in the background, although the film itself, of course, is much more of a, a buddy cop movie than it ever was uh, a Christmas film. So, yeah, I mean, I think that one, that's one of the really interesting things about 80s Christmas films, is that there's a, a really broad spectrum of films that are classically Christmassy in their application, and other films which were a little bit offbeat and um, perhaps even a little bit subversive. Tom,
0: were your knowledge of Christmas films and, 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 and the time you spent watching them, reading about them, studying them, Do you have a favourite
1: Christmas film? Or perhaps a favourite line from a Christmas film? Well, do you know, I I actually do have a a favourite Christmas film. um, And it's one which I don't think a lot of other critics would share. uh, And that is uh, Scrooged, a Richard Donner film Mm -hmm. from the late 80s starring Bill Murray. Um, It was hugely hugely divisive at the time, uh, because really your enjoyment of the film, I think, very much depends on your appreciation of Bill Murray, his performance and his sense of humour. But if you do enjoy um, that kind of comedy film, then I think you will be really impressed with the really chilly evocation of New York City um, in a contemporary, that is the late 1980s, setting. Uh, because it's a film that has an awful lot of really rewarding scenes, interesting characterisation, and admittedly the ending, which possibly is perhaps a little bit too sentimental, it's said that the original test screening had a much more hard-edged conclusion, um, but nonetheless, as a package, it's a very interesting film to watch. Now, is there a, can you think of a favourite line from any film? that sticks in your mind, you know, just one of these
0: iconic phrases. That's a difficult one, I suppose, eh? There are so many. There are many, yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I imagine, do you know, the one that's most iconic is probably every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. An angel, that's correct, I've never forgotten that. that one line, I think, typifies every Christmas film for just about everyone. Well remembered. Whenever you say that, someone has a picture in their mind and it's not necessarily, it's a wonderful life, it could be any Christmas film that's meant a lot to them growing up. I mean, when I first saw so Scrooge, I was still in primary school. Um, I went to see it in uh, in a cinema in Falkirk. Um, must have been December '88 or thereabouts, uh, and I've never forgotten it. And it's a film that just bears repeated viewings. But but that line, you're right with a line.
0: That is iconic, and that's yeah, I like that. So, and I suppose the next question kind of follows on from all that. Uh, you'll have looked spent a lot of time studying and watching Christmas films, I guess, eh, you might well have a favourite character you're willing to share with us. Eh, Santa Claus will not do. (laughs) The listeners will not allow me to let you away with that one. So, if you have one, will
1: you share with us who is your favourite Christmas film character? And why, perhaps? (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you know, I would have to say Cary Grant as Dudley in The Bishop's Wife. No. A character that is often mentioned, but one which I think is greatly underrated, because he brings such incredible, suave sophistication, as he did to so many roles. I kind of granted, didn't he? He did. He did, did. absolutely. And I think he makes a film which itself has a lot of charm, somehow even more charming just by being there. Right, you've penned two substantial books on the subject of Christmas cinema. Uh,
0: The Christmas movie book, which came before a righteously awesome eighties Christmas, so I assume you've done all you can on this subject,
1: or am I mistaken? Well, you may well think that, but I couldn't possibly comment <laughs> i I do have a number of other projects in the pipeline over the next few years, which may or may not have a festive theme, one of which may have what might be described as a classically Christmas theme, okay but if you want to find out more, you're just going to have to stay tuned
0: and keep watching
1: so. Just before my final
0: question, an open question for you, Tom. Is there anything about Christmas films in general, or your book in particular, you would like to add?
1: The interesting thing about Christmas films, I think, the the genre generally has this interesting capacity to bring people together. And the way that it seems to do that is to focus on community and on families and on friendship, and on top of that, you have this transformative aspect which really, I think, comes from A Christmas Carol and the many, many different adaptations of Charles Dickens' work really from the days of silent cinema right the way up to the present day. Just about every generation has had a different version of A Christmas Carol to watch. So, really, there is this extraordinary sense within Christmas cinema, I think, um, for people to really look quite fondly at the films that have come out within the genre in ways that they perhaps might not necessarily in terms of other categories of film. That's one of the reasons why I've chosen the 1980s for this particular Christmas Films book, is because there is a kind of combination of nostalgia for a particular decade, and in this particular occasion you can see right across the the entire gamut of Christmas cinema within that 10-year period. You have Christmas fantasy, Christmas horror, there are comedies, and there are all sorts of different variations on the the mainstream themes of Christmas films that were established in the 1940s. But what also interests me are films like Trading Places, which have become known as a Christmas staple over here in Britain, but yet in America is seen very much as being a, a comedy film in its own right with no real connection to Christmas.
0: Do they not get the
1: message? Or is it just that they see the message different? Because there is a message through that film. I think it's perceived slightly differently. I think the Christmas setting um, was never that prominent in the marketing campaigns in America. Mm -hmm. And it was a hugely successful film as a comedy. But uh, over here, um, because it takes place really between Christmas and the New Year, um, I think the setting helped to, to aid it becoming lodged in people's memories. On the other hand, you have films like Comfort and Joy, which did well over here, but yet is not all that very well known to international audiences. And in a way, that's a great pity because, in terms of festive feeling, it's a different kind of film. Yes. It puts a very Scottish spin on it. It's
0: very good. Um, Trading Places, that you mentioned, I mean, that's become a staple for some years now, kind of festive period we see it. Yes, I think, I think so.
1: I mean, I think it's probably one of John Landis's best accomplishments, actually. People often look at films like The Blues Brothers and Coming to America, but yeah. I think because it's, it's acquired this kind of aspect of Christmas cinema, at least for British audiences, you know, I, I think it's been given this degree of extra longevity as a result of it. I mean, I never tire of watching it. You, you mentioned
0: Charles Dickens earlier, as you, as you were talking through that last bit. Happy, happy Christmas that like, can win us back to the delusions of our childhood days, recall to the old man the pleasures of his youth, and transport the traveller back to his own fireplace and quiet home. Tom, you're far from an old man. (laughs) However, let's be delusional for a moment. When you spend time by your own fireplace and in your own quiet home, sitting in your righteously awesome cosy weekend with the snow backed up outside, and with no plans to go out into the blizzard, What is your idea of a good read or
1: a good film in such circumstances? Well, where do you start? (laughs) Well, I don't know. (laughs) Well, do, do you know, interestingly, because I've studied Christmas films for quite some time now, I'm always on the lookout for films that are a little bit out of the ordinary, and I'm never disappointed. I've seen films from the 1940s that, until recently, I'd never even heard of. There are films from the 60s and 70s where very little was actually happening in terms of Christmas cinema that have become known to me recently, which I've been catching up with. And especially now, with uh, various companies like Hallmark, for instance, producing TV movies at a prodigious rate Mm -hmm. solely to do with Christmas, I mean, there's a huge um, sort of cult following for these films now. Um, It certainly seems to me that there's, there's no shortage of... Uh, Christmas entertainment to be had, and uh, really, it's an embarrassment of riches. So I don't really know where I would start.
0: But you would still sit and look at film and read something.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I th- I think that you I think would, that uh, says something for research. the. <laughs> I think that says something for the the field though the field of Christmas films yeah. that um, if you can write books on it and still enjoy watching films of that of that type, then you're doing okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah So. Tom, thank you for your honest answers uh, and your patience with the question. I, I, I really enjoyed that. There is still time before Christmas and a book is an essential stocking filler. So have a look at the Extremist Publishing Limited website, www.extremistpublishing.com or follow on the Facebook site. There will be something there for you. Have a great Christmas and a peaceful New Year from Tom and me and all at Extremist Publishing. Thank you. Thank you.